Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. The apostle writes, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant to the Lord. Verse 9, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? They shall make known unto you things which are done here. Aristarchus, verse 10, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you and Marcus. Father, help us, I pray now, in these next few minutes as we look at this wonderful passage. May we learn from it. May we see what you have said in it in order that we can live in light of your truth, I pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Quite often in a book like this one, the author at some point in the book sends greetings from other believers in Christ. And so we hear about people whom the apostle knew and whom the people in the church to whom he was writing, they, they knew also. And that's what happens in this chapter. I want you to notice four men. Now there are more than four named here, but I want you to see four men. And here's the first point tonight, so it'll be easy to remember. The first thing to see is we don't know their name. We don't know their name. Look down in verse 7. The Bible says in verse 7, all my state shall Tychicus. You see the name there? Tychicus. You see the second the C? Tychicus. For years I call this guy Tychicus. And if I'd call him Tychicus tonight, you wouldn't have been bothered. If I'd said all my state are delivered to Tychicus, you would say, Amen. Thank God for Tychicus, that brother in the Lord. You don't know his name. I don't know his name. Nobody knows his name. I have called this guy, bless his heart, Antichius. His name is not Antichius. His name is not Tychius. His name is Tychicus. Suppose I got up to preach tonight and I said, um, it's always a blessing to be here at Eastland Baptist Church with Pastor Miller. <laughs> I always enjoy being with he and his lovely wife, Janice. Uh, you wouldn't hear another thing I said tonight. You would say, his name is not Miller, Brother Bill. Learn his name. And his wife's name, at last sight, was not Janice. So as far as I know, that you, you would be bothered. Names are important, are they not? I've always had trouble with names. People have said to me, Bill, now that you're older, is, is that why you have trouble with names? And I say, no, it began when I was four. I've, I've never, never been really good with names, but names are important, aren't they? But we don't know these names. Look up, if you would, in verse 9, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, Onesimus. Now, more of you might know the name Onesimus. He was a slave that belonged to a man named Philemon who ran away, and when he left, he evidently stole some things from Philemon, his master. And he went to Rome, and there he met an evangelist, and he was led to Christ. 
And he was sent back to his master with a letter from the man who won him to Christ. It's a wonderful letter, Philemon. And basically in that letter, the apostle writing says, if he, that's this slave, hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, and then he says, we'll repay it. And it's a picture of what God did for us through Christ Jesus in our sins. So this is Onesimus. But most of us don't know Onesimus. If I said to young people tonight, remember that great saint in the Bible, Onesimus? They would say, Onesa who? I don't know him. We don't know their names. The third guy is my favorite. He's down in verse 10. Aristarchus. Now, if I ask tonight, how many of you have heard the name Aristarchus before? A percentage of us would be, yes, I've heard it, but probably most would not. Uh, I first came to the attention of Aristarchus when reading in school, believe it or not, so this is years ago, uh, Acts chapter 27. In Acts chapter 27, they board a ship, did Aristarchus and others, including the apostle Paul, en route to Rome. And the ship sank. Remember that? It was wrecked, and they were on an island. And often we refer in Acts chapter 27 to Paul's shipwreck. Now, why would it be Paul's shipwreck? Was he the only guy on ship? No, it was Aristarchus. If, if Aristarchus were your father or your brother or your spouse or your son or your cousin or your uncle, do you think you would call that shipwreck Paul's shipwreck? Or do you think you might refer to it as the ship upon which Aristarchus was sailing when it sank? But we don't know Aristarchus. I had a friend years ago who was preaching and he named Aristarchus, this is true, and he called him Anchiparus. <laughs> now, how he got Anchiparus out of Aristarchus, I will never know, but he did. But here's the funny thing. When he preached and he named Anchiparus, nobody thought a thing of it. They just went, yes, I remember Anchiparus. What a man. Thank God for dear old Anchiparus. Now, the point I'm making is we don't know their names. We got one more, all right, one more. He's in verse 10 as well. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, salute you, and Marcus. Now, I had to look this up. If I said to you, who was Marcus, you might guess it, but you might not. Marcus here is John Mark. John Mark wrote the gospel. So you have Matthew, Luke, and John, and then Mark is the second. But probably Mark is the least well-known of the four Gospels. Isn't that true? If I said Matthew, you would say the tax collector. If I said Luke, you would say the doctor. If I said John, you would say the beloved, loved of the Lord Jesus. Would you not? If I say Marcus, what would you say? Where was he from? What did he do? Who was Marcus? We don't know. We don't know their names. If I mentioned any of these four guys out of context, or if you did to me, I wouldn't know who you were talking about. We don't know their names. Point number two. We don't know what they did. Now, fortunately for us, 
there is some information as to what each of these men did and the mention of them in Colossians chapter 4. Look back at verse 7. All right, we're going to see the first guy. All my states shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant. All right, what's the word minister mean? He's a faithful minister. If a man is a minister in the church, what does he do? Well, the answer is he serves. Minister means servant. So if you look back at the verse, you'll see that it calls this man, Tychicus, a minister, and then follows up by saying a fellow servant. Now that's wonderful. So while we don't know a lot about this man, we know he was a great server. And he was a great servant. But my point still stands, we don't know his name and we don't know what he did. Onesimus. What did Onesimus do? Let me, let me show you what I love most. In fact, this is the favorite of the doings in Colossians chapter 4 of Onesimus. Look at verse 9. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? I just love that. I just love that. I just love that. He's one of who? Well, he's one of you. Well, who's the you? Uh, that he is one of. Well, it's a church at Colossae. Now, now, think about this, people. I love this. Onesimus was a slave. He could have died because he left his master and he stole things, but he came to Christ. He came back to his master and evidently from this was reinstated, but no longer as a slave. And now the apostle writes to the church and says, he is one of you. Now I don't know what Onesimus thought of himself, but he was raised a slave people but he was just as much a part of the church in which he served as anybody else. My dad used to tell the story of a pastor who preached in Washington, D.C. And on a Sunday morning, a man from the State Department came forward. He was high up in the federal government and was saved. And the same morning, a lady who... Uh, today we would call a, uh, a street person or a homeless person. That's what we call them today. She was a beggar. She came forward and she was saved as well. And the pastor at the conclusion of that service said, and I think brilliantly, the ground is wondrously level at the foot of the cross. Yeah. Now, don't, you, don't you get tired of big shots? I mean, I'm serious. Don't you get tired of big shots? People who are important. Um, you know, one of the things I love about being in church is when you're in church, you're, you're in church. I, there is no member of this church who is any more a member of this church than any other member of this church. If you're a member, you're, you're in the church. And by the way, if you're in the body of Christ, you're in the body of Christ. And we don't all do the same things in the church or in the body, but we're all part. You know, the hand doesn't do the same thing as the eye. The eye doesn't do the same thing as the foot. We look on some parts as more complete, more beautiful than others. 
For example, we say, I love you with all of my heart. We do not say, I love you with all of my liver. <laughs> well, is the heart more important than the liver? Well, you say you couldn't live without your heart. You couldn't live without your liver either. So they're both part. And Onesimus, though a slave was part. And that's what the apostle writes and he says. He says, uh, and by the way, Onesimus says, howdy, who is one of you? My favorite of these four men is Aristarchus. I'm going to show you why. Look at Aristarchus in verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. Now, when Aristarchus went to Rome on the ship that was wrecked, that belonged evidently to the Apostle Paul, because that's all we ever hear about. So in Paul's shipwreck, when Aristarchus was there, why was Aristarchus on the ship? Well, because he was a prisoner. Why was Paul on the ship? Because he was a prisoner. And he calls Aristarchus a fellow prisoner. So somebody says, Paul was willing to preach the gospel and if necessary, give his life and go to Rome to stand before the unjust judges in Rome. Well, so was Aristarchus. He was a fellow prisoner. He didn't, it wasn't a pleasurable cruise for Aristarchus. He was a fellow prisoner. Why was he a prisoner? Well, I assume because he preached the gospel as did Paul and therefore was imprisoned and sent to Rome. Wouldn't that make sense? All right, but we never hear about that. See, we know all about what Paul does but we know nothing about what Aristarchus does. People say, the Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian in the New Testament era, you don't know that. Nobody knows that. How silly is that? And I don't mean to be unkind. I know a lot of good people have said it. But they're wrong. It's not true. Nobody can know that it's true. In fact, Paul himself wrote and said, when we compare ourselves with ourselves, we are not wise. So it's true. So why, why say Paul is a greater prisoner, for example, than Aristarchus? We don't know that. Why did Paul do what he did? Because God told him to. Why did Aristarchus do what he did? Because God told him to. You say, yes, but Paul wrote much of the New Testament. Well, yes, he did. So let me ask you a question. Has your pastor, Brother Miller, <laughs> has he written any of the New Testament? Just yes or no. Has pastor written any of the New Testament? Yes or no? No. Why not? Because God told him not to. In fact, God said specifically, hey, you're in trouble if you add to or take away from anything I've already had written. So why did Paul write most of the New Testament? Because God told him to. So the big deal about Paul writing much of the New Testament is Paul's obedience. The big deal about the pastors not writing any of the New Testament is the pastor's obedience. 
So why should I say that Paul is a greater Christian in the New Testament era than the pastor? Are you following this? See, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, and then the last guy, Mark, and we do know what Mark did. He wrote the book, but he's never heralded up for it. Uh, you've never heard anybody say, Paul was the greatest Christian in the New Testament era. And uh, then probably uh, John, uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, John Revelation, he's probably number two. And then number three uh, was the guy that wrote Hebrews. Who was that? Aristarchus, as far as I know. <laughs> Who knows? You don't know. I don't know. Don't nobody know. So why in the world line them up like that? In other words, Marcus was used of God just like Paul was, and Marcus was used of God just like Luke and John were, and just like Peter was. And isn't that a wonderful truth? So then you have these four men. Number one, we don't know their names. Now admit it, we don't. Number two, we don't know what they did. That's easy to admit as well, is it not? Here's number three, and here's my favorite. The Lord Jesus Christ knows both. He knew their name, and he knew what they did. Have you ever heard this statement, and a shiver went down your backbone? Have you ever heard this statement? You ready? Let me tell you, God knows everything about you. God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows you better than your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your friend, your pastor. God knows you. Why should that always be a fearful thing? Have you ever said of your spouse, she loves me and she knows me? Isn't that wonderful? She knows me, and knowing me, she loves me. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He knew everybody in it who was, who had been, and who would be. So that God knows you ought not always be seen as something terrible. Now, I know, for example, the Bible says in Romans 14, so then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Now, that's true. And basically, that's talking about this life. We, we do answer to God. That is true. But it's not terrible. It is sad to me that whenever we hear about the judgment seat of Christ, um, the Bema, and we'll get back to that in just a second, that it is something that is fearful to us. One day, we're going to stand before God, all of those who have believed in the Lord Jesus, and everything we've ever done will be upon the screen. Every bad word we've ever said, every face we've ever made, every time we've looked at the iPhone when Brother Miller was preaching, be up there on the screen and we'll see it and you're going to stand before God and you're going to answer for your wicked godlessness at the judgment seat of Christ. Now that is absolutely untrue 
and forgive me, wicked. It's not what the judgment seat of Christ is about. Your sins have already been judged, brother. You don't have any sin to answer for in the sense of judgment as in the great white throne with lost people. You don't have any. Somebody says, yeah, but I've, I've sinned since I was saved. Well, yes, you have. But all of your sins were before you were saved, were forgiven, all of them. You just, you just uh, finished the connection when you trusted Christ. But Christ died for you, loving you, in that while you were yet a sinner, he paid the price. So the bema, what, what is the, what's the bema mean? The judgment of Christ, why do we call it the bema? Well, the bema was uh, the pedestal upon which the winners in the Grecian games stood to be given a crown, usually a wreath. So if you're in a race and you won or you did well or whatever, or if you lifted weights and you did well, you were given a crown and that was the bema. And so that's what the judgment seat of Christ is. It's all about crowns. Now, somebody says, well, yes, but wouldn't I be ashamed if I didn't get any crowns? Well, that's true. First John says that we need not to be ashamed at his appearing. So that I, I understand that. And I'm not trying to make little of the bema or the judgment seat of Christ. I'm just saying it's not that you are judged for sin. It's that you are rewarded awarded for doing the right thing. Well, somebody says, yes, but what if my works are wood, hay, and stubble? Well, if the works are your works, that's exactly what they're going to be. But if you trust the Lord to do through you what you cannot do for yourself, then it'll be like gold, silver, and precious stone. See? So at the judge, yes, you have something to gain at the Bema seat, but it is not some place where your sin is judged or even your shortcoming. And so couldn't somebody look forward to that? Turn to 2 Timothy, would you? Ch chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And let's look down at verse 6. Now, this is none other than the Apostle Paul speaking. I want you to see what he says, all right? This is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, listen, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, should give to me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. Okay, now love is appearing is not saying that uh, you're looking for Christ's return. It would be included in that. But love is appearing is, you know, I'm not going to be ashamed when I stand before God because I will do what he asked me to do, see? And so uh, there are crowns to be gained. Now, salvation's free, you know that. You don't earn salvation. But after having been saved, you can serve God and be rewarded for it in glory. 
and that's at the judgment seat of Christ. All right. Now, why would Paul have been awarded the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give him, and not to him only? Why would he be given? Well, that's easy to answer. <laughs> that's easy. The greatest Christian in the New Testament era. No wonder he would get crowns. He preached all over the known world. No wonder he would get crowns. He stood before great foes and, and fought wild beasts and he was beaten and he was actually killed at least once, evidently twice. And, and the guy, he, he wrote most of the New Testament and that's why he got crowns. You can't read. He says, I fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Now, let me ask you a question. Could I be awarded in heaven for writing most of the New Testament? No. All right. But could I hear a well done, thou good and faithful servant for finishing my course Fighting a good fight and keeping the faith. Could I do that? Okay, could you? Well, what do you know? Shazam! <laughs> You're right up there with the Apostle Paul. And I'm not even being facetious. So what does it mean? What does it mean to fight a good fight? And what does it mean to keep the faith? And what does it mean to finish your course? Well, let's, let's start at keeping the faith. Keeping the faith means the body of belief that we have, that we have trusted in, in the Word of God, that we keep. Now, it may be that you misunderstood something in the Bible a few years ago, and you have been corrected on it. That can happen. But the deal is we just need to keep on believing what we believe. This is interesting to me. In the assurance of salvation, the Bible says in 1 John 5, These things have I written unto you that believe that ye may know that ye have eternal life. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Now listen to this and that you may believe. Okay, salvation is in my trusting Christ as Savior. Nothing else. It is in my, I didn't deserve to be saved before I was saved. I haven't deserved to be saved after I'm saved. Well, somebody says, yes, but I should, I should seek to in some sense be worthy of the salvation that I possess. Good luck. It'll never happen. You're not saved because of what you've done. You will not stay saved because of what you do. Salvation is by grace through faith. And the key is believing. Don't get away from the faith. All right. So could you keep the faith? Well, you say, Brother Rice, you know, I, I don't trust me about anything, which, by the way, would be wise. But could I not say, dear God, help me to keep the faith? Sure. All right. Could I finish my course? Now, all of this is dependent upon our reliance upon the Lord Jesus, is it not? We were saved by faith and we live by faith. All right. So 
as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. That's in Colossians as well. So the way you were saved by faith is the way that you live victoriously. That's by faith. That's by trusting Christ. So you finish your course. Now, a couple things here. Number one, it's not his course. It's not their course. It's not this guy's course. It's your course. So um, there are things God has called and led and even gifted me to do. And there are things I couldn't do if you put a gun to my head. I love cars. I've always loved cars. And it's a good thing because Mary and I, um, we, we traveled quite a bit. We left the ranch on the 27th of December and we'll get back in April. We've not been back since and um, I bought a truck in May with 7,000 miles on it, and now it has 35,000. That's not unusual. Mary and I have traveled 40,000 miles a year um, every year of our married life. So if you add that up, 40,000 times 56, that's over, that's a lot of miles. <laughs> okay, so, um, uh, I love automobiles, but I can't fix them. You know, they need to be fixed occasionally. I happen to drive a Ford, so it doesn't need to be fixed very often. <laughs> Maybe every 100 miles or so. Uh, and then other than that, it's just absolutely perfect. Um, I, uh, so if, if you said, Brother Rice, you're an evangelist and you need a Ford and, and you need to be able to drive it and you need to be able to fix it, I can't fix it. You fix it. I can't fix it. I can't cook. I know that's going to be a shock, but I, I can't cook. Mary said to me in the year 2000, this year I'm going to teach you to cook. Okay, that has been <laughs> 23, is that my math right this time? 23 years ago. I still can't cook. Even Mary could not teach me how to cook. If the Lord said, Bill, you must cook, I would go out in the backyard and shoot myself. <laughs> All right, I can't cook. I can't sing. Now, some of you say, Brother Bill, surely you can sing. I'm being honest. I cannot sing. Now, I've heard a lot of people who couldn't sing but never admitted it. <laughs> I've heard a lot of that. All right. But I can't sing, and I'm, I'm happy. Now, I can hear music. I have a good ear for music. I can hear it. I can... I can you know, sing parts as far as knowing parts. I can do that, but I, I can't sing. And uh, it's a standing joke with many of the pastors that I'm with now. You know, I'm offering myself to be willing to sing. And uh, they say, hey, you can. And it's always the same. I've heard this joke. It's getting old, people. You'll, you'll be able to sing at our church Saturday night at 9 o'clock or, you know, Sunday night at 2 in the morning or whatever. So I can't sing. Now, can some people sing? Yes. Can some people fix cars, even Fords? Can some people cook? Yes. I ain't one of them. 
I can't do that. I don't have to finish your course. I, I couldn't be a pastor, and I've said this often, and I'm serious about it. <clears throat> I don't have the patience to be a pastor. Uh, and I, I don't have the will. I, you say, well, Brother Bill, you can, you can preach. You could be a pastor. No, 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 I'm telling you people, I cannot be a pastor. If I became pastor of Eastland Baptist Church, it's not going to happen, so don't worry about it. Run out the back door screaming. But if I became the pastor of Eastland Baptist Church, the first thing we would do within three months, we'd have a split. <laughs> and then Mary and I would have to start the church all over again. We would sell the building, go to Bermuda for a couple of months, and come back and restart. I can't pastor. I can't pastor. Can you imagine this? A sermon every Sunday, a new one. Sunday night, another new one. Wednesday night, another new one. Sunday school, another new one. I have, and I'm proud to say it, eight sermons. <laughs> eight. And I use the same eight sermons, I just change the illustrations. And so one time I, I'll talk about shooting a tiger. And the next time I'll talk about helping a little old lady across the street. It's the same sermon. You say, what do those things illustrate? I have no idea. But usually people don't have any idea of what I'm preaching about anyway, so it makes no difference. I couldn't be a pastor, and I don't have to want to be one. See, don't get mad at me, okay? I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> I don't care what your vacation was like. I don't have to have it. I don't care how much money you made last year. I do need some of that, but not all of it. <laughs> All right, so the deal is, the deal is, I, I don't have to live my life finishing your course. I got my own. Thank you. I just need to finish my course and you finish yours. And you don't have to finish mine either. You say, you know, I, I wish I could do what Pastor Durrell does. Well, I think it's, it's, um, it's fine to admire the qualities in a man, but you don't have to do what Pastor Durrell does. You have to do what God wants you to do. And sometimes God asks us to do things that we don't think we can do, but we can. We just need to trust him about it. Could you finish your course? Could you keep the faith? Could you fight a good fight? I thoroughly enjoyed the message this morning thoroughly. And the reason was because the pastor just told the truth. We're in a battle. Now, it's not the most encouraging thing to hear, but it's the truth. Why not start with that? Can God give victories? Yes, he can. Sometimes do we get defeated? Yes, we, we are. But the deal is we're in a battle. You need to learn to fight. Now, look, people, look. Nobody here wants to be mean in spite of what the world often says. Nobody here wants to be unkind, but we need to stay by the stuff and do what's right. My dad used to tell the story of a guy that said, quote, 
If he ever died in a river swimming, he hoped they would look for his body upstream. Think about it. I love that. In other words, here's a guy that's overcome and wearied and dies by drowning. But the picture is you look for the body upstream because we know this guy and we know he's going to give it everything he's got. Just keep at it. Just keep at it. Fight the fights. No matter how glamorous battles may seem, after a while they become wearisome. Now, I hate to say this, I hate to say this, but I have, I have friends that are my age or even younger who once fought battles like the ones I fight, but just have said, I'm tired. And in some cases, their children got on the other side in the war, and they didn't want to fight against their own children. I can understand that, can't you? I can understand that. Listen, if you'll just keep at it, listen, if you'll just fight the good fight, and if you'll just keep the faith, and if you'll just finish your course, then the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to you the crown of righteousness which the apostle Paul got, and which all who love his appearing will receive. Are you following this? See, the deal is, the deal is you, you, you can be awarded. Okay, somebody says, well, I'm having, I'm having trouble with fighting the fight, or I'm having trouble with keeping the faith, or I'm having trouble with finishing my course. Ask God to help and get at it. See, just ask God to help and get at it. Well, somebody says, well, I, I hate to say this, but there's sin in my life. I, I have things that are unconfessed. Okay, there's a provision for that. First John says, if we say we do no sin, we deceive ourselves and his truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, you can walk out of this church tonight just as right with God as we assume the Apostle Paul was when he penned these words. Amen. See, you can be right with God. Don't sit there and say, oh, I've failed here. I've done wrong there. All of us have. Say, dear God, what I did was sin. That's what you call it. I'm agreeing with you about it. I'm asking forgiveness and cleansing. And the Bible promises that you'll be cleansed from all your sin. In other words, don't live your life saying, oh my goodness, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand before God. Oh my goodness, there's going to be the bema. Oh my goodness, I'm going to sit at the judgment seat of Christ. Oh my goodness, there'll be, there'll be uh, people there of great renown and then there'll be me. Let me ask you a question. Do you think the judgment seat of Christ may be a blessing to you rather than something that you have feared all your life? Now, I'm serious about this. Think about it. Someone is going to say, and Lord, there's Tychicus. And you're going to hear a wonderful story. And I assume a crown will be bestowed. Is that fair enough? And someone's going to say, Lord, there's Aristarchus. And the Lord's going to say, yeah, I know. He was Paul's fellow prisoner. You know, he had a shipwreck name for him. Did Aristarchus. Um, nobody, nobody called it that. He called it Paul's shipwreck. Me and Bill are the only two that ever called it Aristarchus' shipwreck. 
Are you following this? Okay. And then there's Marcus. <clears throat> Paul and Barnabas are talking about their next missionary journey. Paul says, I think we should take John Mark with us. <laughs> our, our, our Barnabas says, I think we should take uh, John Mark with us. Paul said, you kidding me? The guy's a quitter. Went with us before and he quit. We're not taking him. Thank God for Barnabas. Barnabas said, uh, I'll take him. You take Silas. Now, can I just say this without being offensive? The Apostle Paul was wrong. Period. And he himself proves that because in the same chapter we've been reading, he says to friends, when you come, bring a coat. It's cold here. Bring the books and then bring John Mark because he's profitable to me. Yeah, well, let me tell you something, Paul. Barnabas knew that years ago. God always knew it. See, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, can't we, instead of fearing the judgment, think of how wonderful it will be? Let me show you one more passage. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. Let me show you one more passage. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And I think we'll, we'll start at verse 35. I've got to make sure you're there before I read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35. Now, we're talking about the heroes of the faith. You got it? Hebrews eleven thirty-five. 35. Women receive their dead raised to life again and others. You might want to underline the word others. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Who were these people? Who were they? Who were the people that were tortured? Who were the people that were cut in half with a wooden saw, we believe, in history. Who are the people that were slain? Who are the people that wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented? Who were they? You don't know! But God does, and you're going to find out. And one day when you stand at the Bema, somebody's going to say, this woman had one who died whose life was raised again. And this lady over here was tortured. You know, we live in America, so we are a privileged people. I don't care what you say, we are a privileged people. We don't know legitimate, genuine resistance from the devil in this country. Now, I know things are terrible. And by the way, what you heard this morning was right. But very few, if any people, die in America for their faith. Very few, if any. Tonight, as we sit in this church, air-conditioned church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, thousands of people are being imprisoned around the world, and hundreds of people, doubtless today, died because of their faith. So who are they? In India, or Bangladesh, or Africa, or China, or Russia. Who are these people? 
you don't know. We sit in this comfortable auditorium. We don't know who these people are, but God does, and he will not forget, and you will find out. And all that's going to happen at the Bema. So why not just say tonight, dear Lord, you know, there's a sin in my life, and I'm asking forgiveness tonight. And dear Lord, uh, I haven't been real good about keeping the faith or about finishing my course or about fighting the good fight, but with your help, I'll do it tonight. Now, would you fail in the future? Well, I assume. Would it be fair to say that Paul failed? Or Aristarchus? Or Onesimus? Or Marcus? Or Tychicus? Yeah, I think so. But thank God for their victories. Wouldn't you say that? And you can have them too. Let's bow for prayer.